Hey everybody, welcome to Artifice episode 93. I am having a great morning because I just signed up for my first dose of the vaccine and I'm feeling excellent about that. Um, yeah, so feeling like things are kind of looking up and looking forward to full immunity in, in about a month. Um, well... It's the end of March. Um, I can't remember how much I've like specifically said, but um, during the month of April is when I'm like really hardcore recording the new record and making a bunch of videos. So I've just been, you know, gearing up for that. And I'm still doing that. Everything's right on schedule. Um, you know, finishing up the very last few little things for the songwriting course, getting some uh, discount codes ready for, um, you know, early bird purchasers. Um, so the songwriting course is going to officially launch on April 1st. And if you're interested in, uh, getting the course, um, just make sure that you're on my mailing list because my, my plan is to make available a couple of 50% off, um, coupon codes, codes, um, and then a couple of 75% off or sorry, 25% off coupon codes. Um, so in other words, whoever kind of uses them first gets them. So I, I'm not sure exactly how many, but I'll, I'll limit them to like, you know, only a couple of uses. So, um, so if you get in there right away, you can, um, get the course for 50% off, um, and if you get in there, you know, just behind right away, you can probably snag the course for 25% off. Um, and then I'll probably have some other fun things too. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the news. So, um, today's guest is author Christian Heidecker. Um, I loved talking with Christian. He's just really easy to talk to. And, um, I felt like we talked about a bunch of stuff that just really, sparked my interest. And, um, I feel like even, you know, it's probably not too dramatic of me to say that toward the end of the episode, I think we solved like a little bit of a mystery about what it's like to be an artist. So, um, that's just a little teaser and you'll have to listen and, and, um, hear what that is. And I, now I will tell you a little bit about Christian Heidecker. Christian McKay Heidecker reads and writes and drinks tea. He is the author of the Newberry Honor recipient, recipient Scary Stories for Young Foxes, as well as the Cure, as well as Cure for the Common Universe, no the Cure for the Common Universe, and Attack of the 50-Foot Wallflower. With William Shivering, he wrote Thieves of Weirdwood and Ghosts of Weirdwood, and he lives in Salt Lake City. Um, once again, it was just a lovely chat that I had with Christian. I'm sure you guys will love it, especially if you're just in a nice, good, happy mood. It's a nice, good, happy convo. Um, yeah, that's it. Enjoy Christian. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. 
And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. I can tell by this setup. Yeah. It's very... Yeah, very conversational. So I'll try to just like remember some of the stuff. So, but I Great. do, I do always like to talk with people first about what they were like as creative children. Mm. So, what were you up to as a little kid? I, uh, I, uh, so I spent a lot of time alone when I was a kid. Uh, I was an only child with a single mother, okay. and my mom was a flight attendant, so, okay, so she you... was gone a lot, and yeah. I would just kind of be in my house, hanging out. Where alone. did you grow up? Holiday. Okay, in Utah. Yes. Yeah, okay. not far from here. Just like kind of near to Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Um, was your mom like when she was home? Was she was is she creative? I uh, no, but she uh, just flooded me with with stories. Like she read me every picture book she could get her hands on. She oh. was always reading. She always had books hanging around. And uh, one of the biggest changing points of my life is when my mom, when I was 11 years old, she uh, taught me uh, this sneaky trick going to the movie theater and paying for one movie, but then sneaking into another one. Exactly. (laughs) You're obviously familiar. And uh, by that point, I was like a little bit too cool to hang out with my mom in the movie theater. Like I didn't want people to see me watching a movie with my mom. That's humiliating. So I would go up to the front row and uh, watch it alone. So we went to two movies that day, and I was completely separated from my mom, who was having a panic attack over the content I was watching. But (laughs) the two movies we saw were Shawshank Redemption and Pulp Fiction. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And um, wait, how old are you? I'm 39. Okay. As of this month. I feel like Pulp Fiction was older. I don't no. know. Yeah, no, it came out. It came out when I was like eleven years old. I'm thirty. I'm turning thirty three this year. But yeah, I didn't see Pulp Fiction until I was like twenty eight. I so. highly recommend it when you're eleven, because <laughs> you know, <clears throat> like it, it shook up my world in so many ways. First of all, I didn't realize that you could kill John Travolta. Sure. In a movie, I was sure. like, wait, wait, wait. if John Travolta's in it, yeah, he has to like survive and win in the end. But no, mm. he he dies. And also like how they took the movie apart and rearranged it. Anyway, totally. so my mom was like mortified after we'd watched both these movies. She's like, are you okay? And I was like, yes. I love that. I'm yeah. transformed. Yeah. And so I think that was that was my childhood in a nutshell was that my mom was like, whatever you're interested in, go after it. And yeah. then I just started making stories out of everything okay. that I did. So before you know? that, when you were like, because I like, I kind of. I'm really fascinated by like human development. So I like to kind of think like what's going on in our like, you know, physiologically child brains. Yeah. What's going on in our teen brains. So were you doing any creative stuff as a smaller kid? Um, you know, I, I would like make lists of superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. Just like write every single superhero name I could think of. Uh, whenever there was like a writing prompt at you school, mean like you were making up the names or you were yeah. just making, okay, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Kind of creating like characters. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, grew up in the eighties, so they were very eighties centric. Like I had a character named neon who was just made of, of neon co- light. Of course you did. <laughs> um, yeah. What about like, so w- one thing, like, you know, when I'm, I interview all kinds of artists and when I ask people about their childhood, they'll always tell me first about the things that they were doing that's that are related to what they're doing now. Mm. But were you also doing like 
was there any music in your childhood? Any like visual art? Any um, kind of other things that you were just yeah, playing speaking around of with? Being theatrical, I was really into musicals. Like the first two CDs I ever bought were uh, the Sister Act soundtrack. Cool. And uh, Queen's Greatest Hits. So I don't know. Like, yeah, I would sing a lot. But not taking like <laughs> lessons. No. Okay. So, I took like, flute lessons. Singing, playing. And then I also like to ask people about like, um, oh, you took flute lessons when you were younger. How did uh-huh. you get into flute? I have no idea. It, really? It yeah, I don't like I don't a... remember ever being like the flute. The flute is for me. I think we had like an aunt. You maybe just had a flute. Yeah, possible. Yeah, okay. cool. Just like kicking around. And we had an aunt that taught flute lessons and offered them for free. Oh, okay. So I took the flute and That's then just like tried to feel cool yeah. about it. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Know, I don't know that I've ever talked to a male flautist. Do you have a flute here? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's good. It's not a COVID safe <laughs> instrument anyway. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> Spitting rice technique. Um, okay, so you took so you took flute lessons as a kid. You were always kind of just like playing. You liked musicals. You liked kind of pl- like pretend. Like, pl- did you ever like put yeah. on like little skits? I uh, yeah yeah almost constantly. So when my mom would leave uh, me alone in the house for extended periods of time, like there was only so much television I could watch sure. before I you know could feel my brain dribbling out of my ears so then i would start to make things up and you know scare the daylights out of myself by like looking at a particular piece of art in my mom's house and imagining it come to Uh life and then if i was sleeping there alone that night then i would hear like scratches on the door and i was like that as a child too like giving myself nightmares like all the time yeah look where it got us i still like really struggle to watch scary movies because like my imagination will take too strong a hold right the yeah. scariest movies are the ones that don't show you anything yeah like yeah. uh paranormal activity yeah i can't i i like don't watch movies like that oh, okay it's a bad idea for me like at the very actually at the i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast but my husband really likes scary movies nice. and i just like i can't i can't watch them because sure. i i really will like have trouble sleeping um, and I'll freak myself out if I'm home alone. But at the beginning of the pandemic, my husband was like, hey, Emily, this is a perfect opportunity for us to watch scary movies because I'm going to be home all the time. Like, I'll be working from home. Yeah. So and? we started watching like a scary movie like every Friday night just this year. And we also watched The Haunting of Hill House mm-hmm. on Netflix. And I, I like genuinely like couldn't get up to pee in the middle of the night for like two months. Cool. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> I mean, like, doesn't that kind of make you feel more alive, though? I don't know. Like, imagine I mean, if, I have if gotten the life better at it. Like, I have like acclimated a little um, to to watching scary things. But how I still, boring would it yeah. be if you could just pee without worrying how about boring it? Boring to just be able to pee in the night. Like, yeah. it's no big deal. Yeah, it doesn't sound like any sort of life I like, want to live. Yeah. <laughs> Were there yeah. any standouts that you enjoyed? <laughs> Um, As your husband's forcing you to watch horror movies? Yeah, actually, we've been watching a bunch of, like, independent horror films, mm-hmm. and I, I really like those. Yeah. Um, but we watched this one that was, I've, I'm going to forget the name of it, but it was, like, these four, like, college friends who went hiking in, like, Sweden, and there was, like, this monster. The... Oh, is it The Ritual? Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked I liked that. 
I know a lot about horror. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, uh, <laughs> I'm learning more. Yeah. The ritual was good. <laughs> yeah. I liked it a lot. Yeah, normally it was... I would think like a monster movie isn't like the thing that I want, but I, I thought it was like really well done. And that monster is something like so strange. Yeah. To actually see yeah. that you're like. You have no reference point. So it's not like, come yeah. on, that's not what a ghoul looks like. That's a really, really good way of putting it because it's it's so upsetting. Yeah, it's very upsetting. You're like, why why does it why have does it those have little hands? Things? Yeah, why does it have <laughs> it hands have around its hands. mouth? Oh, <laughs> now, so anyone cool. who like hasn't watched it is like, what what little hands? It has little hands around its mouth. It's really and you only see it like a tiny it's piece very, at a time. It's and creepy. Yeah, it's good. Um, Anyway, anyway, back to you. Yeah. So the other you don't know I... if I have little hands around my mouth <laughs> because true, I've been wearing, wearing a mask. mask. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll ask Kay. Does Kay? he have little hands around his mouth? <laughs> she says he does. <laughs> um, okay. So the other thing I like to ask people, aside from like what they're doing as children, is like, just how was your identity forming in terms of creativity? Like, do you have memories of like, um consuming you know books consuming media of any kind um and maybe just like how you were starting to kind of like think about like you know artful things or creativity that's a good question so i i think that my development as as a tiny human being was um very separate from like all of the artistic percolating that was happening you mm -hmm. know and it, it yeah. took me a long time to sort of combine sure. those two yeah that's why i like to ask about them because i think they're not always yeah they, yeah, yeah they sometimes um like our kind of creative identity and like our skill sets are sometimes like divergent until much later in our lives yeah and it's so exciting once those actually totally. unite um but i i was hugely inspired by Matilda yeah. when I was young and I didn't understand what it was saying to me at the time, but you know, it, it's kind of this like Scooby-Doo theme of like, not all adults can be trusted. Mm -hmm. You know, not all adults are uh, looking out for you. And honestly, some adults need to be revolted against, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, I wouldn't have been able to put that way, put it that way when I was eight years old and reading it for the first time. But I think that that started in me or seeded in me this understanding that I could like question a lot of authority figures and uh, yeah. really wonder at what value certain teachers, principals, parents, etc., are giving to kids. Uh, you know, what is our literature telling kids? And uh, it wasn't until much, much later, you know, that I, I yeah. think the exciting thing about being an artist is that you find walls to break down. Totally. And I work in children's literature, not only because there are these uh, pole stars that I just admire so much and who, you know, transformed me into the person I am today, but there are so many walls yeah. that yeah. still yeah. are standing Totally. that I get really excited about breaking down for kids sake Do you, wanna, you know and like just talk more about that like what are like maybe diverge a little bit from like chronological sure yeah life yeah. and yeah i mean so i think the the first time each of each of my books has had um a piece of that in there you know 
Can, uh, can you give me an example? Like, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you're, I, you're getting to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so I, <laughs> I, scary stories for young foxes, um, which you know on the on the front of it kind of looks like this adorable like. Ooh, what sort Little of fables. stories yeah. do foxes tell each other? And you get yeah. like this Beatrix Potter feeling, or maybe like a like a haunted like uh, Berenstain Bears feeling. Sure. But I really, really wanted to explore why we tell horror stories to kids. Mm, interesting. And are the horror stories that we're currently telling to kids um, doing the work that they need to? Yeah. Um, and also like a lot of animal stories that we tell kids are candy coated, you know, they're sure. either overly anthropomorphic or, you know, like uh, animals die to teach kids a lesson, okay. you know, like that's yeah. the reason that, that old yeller exists or the right. yearling or whatever. And when I was approaching it, I was like, well, I'm going to take a sort of like national geographic approach where, you know, when kids watch, a David Attenborough documentary, yeah. there's something in them that is really afraid and really sad for whatever innocent creature is being eaten on the screen. But they yeah. also understand that this is part of it, yeah. you know, yeah. this is life. And so, you know, foxes to me, when I started to really delve deep, presented so many different walls, yeah. you know, the walls of like how scary to make something. And that, I mean, there have been, other middle grade books that have been as scary or scarier than mine. But um, that's one wall that I think that we're still chipping away at or yeah. figuring out like, to a certain the right degree. What's the right way to be scary? Yeah. Like what, what kind of scary is like productive or yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and also, you know, when it comes to animal experiences in the wild, on farms, whatever, why do we lie to kids about certain things? You know, why or what yeah. do we protect them from and, and why? Yeah. And so I had all of those questions in my head while also trying to tell this harrowing yeah. adventure story. You yeah, know? maybe this is like not quite related, but I, I really like this idea. I've never really thought about this before, but like, you know, I grew up with parents that like, I've talked about it a lot are narcissistic and, um, mm. like fairly abusive people. Oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, it's okay. Thanks. Um, I feel like it's, I feel like it's, you know, it's part and parcel to like just being a person and everybody's got something. But for me, like right. that was, you know, a big, like, you know, part of why I like to ask people about their childhood is cause like, I think a lot about my childhood as it relates to like my becoming an artist and what that story's like. But, mm. you know, I had a lot of like, like these kind of morality tales that we tell children, like, and for me, whether they're coming from like a children's book, like, you know, I read Little House on the Prairie, like stuff like that, or whether they're coming from like the Bible or something. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fear about like being an obedient child that I think like was really unproductive for me because my parents were not responsible people with how they were talking to me. You know wow. what I mean? Like, so that's, that's an interesting, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I think we, like when you were talking about like, not all adults should be trusted. Like, you know, I mm -hmm. think there are these, some kinds of things like how can we teach pr pr presumably sometimes when we're telling scary stories to kids, we're trying to teach them like about survival 
Absolutely. And um, yeah. And sometimes like we teach that in a way that's like be obedient to the adults in your life mm-hmm. or like you'll get in trouble. Um, and sometimes it should be like a different thing. Yeah. 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 And I, I mean, you know, I, I know, I know kids with narcissistic parents. I know, um, you know, kids who were really mistreated when they were younger. And it, I, I think it's hard for people in that kid's life to say, Hey, you don't need to listen to what your parents are saying. Totally. You know, like wh- when is the opportunity for that? Because turning a kid against their parents or, you know, betraying somebody that you know in order to protect their kid or whatever, like yeah. is a, it's such a delicate, dangerous place. And so if there are pieces of literature in the world that can actually express 100%. that through, yeah. you know, this, um, uh, very cathartic yeah. story experience. Like that's the sort of value that, you know, I, I, as, as a children's author feel I have a responsibility. Yeah. I've to never, kids. I've never thought about that, but certainly the stuff that I was reading like privately, not little house in the prairie, but like, you know, a wrinkle in time or like mm-hmm. Matilda, um, certainly like there were nuggets in those stories that kind of like, undoubtedly led me eventually to a place where I could be like, maybe like the truths that my parents tell me are not quite true. Cool. Yeah. You know, so I mean, and it was certainly like music played a big role in that for me as well. Like, you know, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really, that's important work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so. So when you were, so what you're telling me is like when you were younger, there were maybe little beginnings of like this purpose that you feel now. Yeah. Like in the way that you were experiencing literature as a, a breadcrumb trail. Yeah. That was sort of cool. leading into this dark forest I find myself in now. Yeah, it's pretty in, cool. So. In a very happy way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. that's why I said before, like, you know, everybody's got things like, like you said, like, you know, we can try to pretend like the, like animal kingdom is really different from humanity and it's not that different in lots of ways. And well said. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think like it's it's like it's dark, but it's also just like it just is. <laughs> like it yeah. just is what it is. Yeah. 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 And I, I think anytime that you can say that, because you know, there there are a lot of gatekeepers around children's literature, uh editors and promotional people and librarians and teachers who will say, you know, you can't put this thing in a in a kid's book. And I, I agree there's definitely a line. There are things that we there's no reason to put them into children's literature but you know if you can if you can look at it and you can show the value for a particular kid in a particular situation in the world and then you can end it with hey it is how it is like this is this is something that children like will deal with exactly maybe not all children but yeah yeah for the children that do have these things like this is a resource yeah and also valuable for uh, kids who are, do not have those yeah. experiences to understand that this could for be empathy. happening yeah. Yeah, to <laughs> yeah. others and then give their support yeah. and understanding because totally. they've, you know, walked a couple hundred pages in their shoes. Sure, 100%. In, yeah. a, in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you saw Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption <laughs> when you were 11. Yeah. Um, at, that, <laughs> at that time, were, were you already writing? 
so I, I would do this really obvious thing where I would wonder at what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, in order, they were uh, a chicken when I was three, okay. a lion tamer when I was five, a veterinarian until I was like 12. Have I ever told you that? K is a vet tech. Oh, so cool. uh, they have my dream job. And uh, and then an actor and whatever. But the, f- the funny thing is that um, is that whenever I was like, ooh, I want to be a veterinarian. Yeah. Like, that sounds like such a great job. I'd get to work with animals all day. And I would go and sit down and write a story about a veterinarian. Okay, okay. And what's yeah. happening in their lives. And yeah, not get to, like, test it out. Acknowledging the fact that, oh, I'm actually already doing the thing I want to be doing, which is telling stories sure, about veterinarians sure. instead. You know, you know I, have a, I had a really similar conversation with um, an actor writer that I know that I interviewed. And she said like she loved Jurassic park cool. and like thought she wanted to be like a paleontologist or like an archeologist. And then was like, <laughs> Oh, I want to make films. Like yeah. it's Jurassic park, not like the dinosaurs. Yeah. 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 And yeah. And when you're, when you're young, like those, those messages just sort of get mixed up in your head. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously it would be a huge blessing for any young kid to like get it immediately and just start working on that thing of course immediately but it it translates in these really really weird ways because things get repressed or there are certain signals you're getting from authority figures that are like here's the path that you should be taking absolutely yeah you know i i went to school uh do you know waterford yeah private school totally yeah so i went there kindergarten until the day i graduated and i think like 30, 40% of the kids who graduated in my class went on to Ivy League schools. So like my entire feeling throughout high school, Mm. junior high and everything was one of abject failure. It's not a real thing. Yeah. And and also I was not going to do good in the world, you know? So, and then I, of course, had to end up like working as hard as any of them in order to make my art career work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to hear about that. So Great. <laughs> let's talk about your teen years. Yeah. Um, are the things that I'm curious about in here are like, you know, how, how, if at all, and like plenty of us aren't working on our current skills, like in our teens, but um, how w- was your skill set changing? And that could be just like in your mind or like you're actually writing um, how is your kind of like creative identity changing? And then what messages are you getting about creativity from yeah. others? So um, when when I was in high school, like once I realized that I was no longer uh, the best in my class uh, at a lot of subjects, math, history, whatever, sure. I just gave up. Like I just stopped learning completely. Do you feel like that was like a private school thing? maybe Maybe? yeah yeah Yeah, the pressure was my my, i'm not from utah but my husband's from here and he he was like close childhood friends with some people who went to waterford and he paints a picture that's like it's pretty intense it's intense i mean it's it's intense when everybody is insanely smart and like that is the competitive thing yeah like we were not that competitive in sports like sure. popularity wasn't a thing. It was just like how well academics. are you performing? Yeah, that's really interesting. Like 
I went to a public high school, but it was a really good public high school. Yeah. I grew up in Arizona. And um, yeah, I mean, I had like a, you know, I took a bunch of AP classes and had like a 4.7, I think, when I graduated from high school. And I was like 28th in my graduating class, which is like, so I mean, but I, so I think like, it, right? Yeah. yeah. But I think like, I never had the experience you're talking about. Like, I just felt, I felt the way that I felt was like, I really care about school. I really want to learn like as much as I can, but like, I'm not like a smart kid. Like, I kind of felt like there were so many people that were like, so brilliant around right. me. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't feel like competitive about it. I just felt like, oh, they're just, those are the people that are going to go to Ivy League schools. And yeah. I'm, I'm like not, but I wonder if that's just like, cause it was such a big school. Because, you know, my graduating right. class was like, like I was 28, but there were like hundreds of us. Yeah. So I still felt pretty like. I I graduated with 40 kids. Yeah. And so I that's, also that's different. still probably ranked 28th or worse. You just know, you just like know <laughs> the details of like everybody's. Everybody stuff, and how yeah. they're doing and everything. Yeah. So I just kind of steered towards the thing that were easy for me, okay. which was acting, being okay. on a stage, I could make everybody laugh. You know, yeah. I didn't really care about, um, rules, you yeah. know, these things that they throw in your face. <laughs> Sorry. <that's> rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who yeah. cares about rules? Didn't have time for them. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, like, I do think that like the whole Matilda thing showed me that like the teachers didn't really have any power over me hmm. and I could kind of do whatever I wanted on oh, stage. Yeah, I never and felt like that as a kid. I felt very empowered yeah. up there. Um, <laughs> probably a little bit too empowered. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's where I put all my focus okay. is to fame. Did you ever think <laughs> I you just were... really wanted to be famous? <laughs> um, like, did you, is, I mean, are you joking about that a little bit or like, are you really, did no. you, were you thinking about like going yeah, I to film to, school or going yeah, to Yeah, I wanted school? to be like a, a big deal, uh, actor. Okay. A big time actor. Tell me what, I want to know. What your peers thought about that, and also what adults in your life thought about that, like That's what kind, what? So, uh, I I think that my peers, after I saw some success, and I'll tell you about the success that I had, okay. like right after high school, it was kind of unreal. Um, after I had some success, I there there were a few of like the smarter kids from my class who came to me, and were like, we did not think that you would ever make anything okay of yourself yeah so the, it was wasn't like, the kind of thing where like all of your peers were like christian he's like gonna be the next whoever uh you know i think the really nice ones were okay I, and i was i was a fine actor yeah. you know i was i was okay uh i really enjoyed it and i worked really hard on it well, um it's not to say that like peer like your peers know anything i mean i wish sure. we see it both ways i mean i think we see like really like kind of particularly talented teens having like everyone be like, what a weirdo. And then they're like famous and brilliant now. And I think sure, we have yeah. the other thing too, where like everyone, it's almost just like popularity and everyone's like, Oh, this person's like going to be the, you know, amazing. And then they like just aren't. I mean, so, I mean, it's we've... not to say it matters, but I do think it matters to you like yeah yeah That's like we i'm curious about it we've we've kind of touched on this point that i think is so fascinating for artists 
which is like you're getting all this different kind of feedback, yeah. right? Like I could make a theater full of people laugh really hard, but was that because I was genuinely talented or because they knew me and they saw me like, you know, making a fool of myself sure. on stage? Yeah. Were the kids who were saying like, oh man, like Christian's not going to become anything could they just see very clearly that I was a big fish in a little pond, you know, and were yeah. the teachers who were like, you know, dude, you got to start taking things more seriously. Like okay. you can't, you will not survive out there okay. with this sort of yeah. attitude or the other teachers who are like, keep going. This is great. You, you know, got all the things. Yeah. yeah. And my mom is one of those people. She always has been. I mean, it's amazing. She's just like always fanning those flames. But I, so well, when, that's good that you weren't getting like totally skewed feedback in like one direction or the other. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's then true. You kind of get to make like a decision that's right. But yours as much as possible. Maybe that's or? one of the scariest decisions you can make, you know, yeah. because you're like, is this real? Sh should I continue to pursue this against all odds? Yeah. Um, or do I kind of need to touch back down to reality, you know, and like how much of it is going to be my dedication, how much of it is going to be luck and having no idea. Yeah. Like, and meanwhile, you're those answers. 18. Exactly. Yeah. It's insane. So, it's crazy. I think about this all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I, I think I, I was extremely lucky in that, you know, I went to my mom was, you know, doing all these flights because she wanted to pay for an extremely expensive private school that did yeah. end up having a really good effect on me yeah. eventually because yeah. I still see my teachers in my head when I sit down yeah. to write and yeah. still want to impress my classmates who are all like Ivy League graduates. Yeah. Yeah. We're all kind of <laughs> like that. We talk about it all the time. Cool. Um, but I, I, I won a theater award in my high school, you know, where they're like have the math award, the science award, whatever. I got the theater award and our uh, teacher director Roger Bennington just happened to be like this uh, kind of like international semi star. Like sure. he'd made a lot of great things. He came from South Africa. Uh, he whipped us into shape in terms of like our discipline yeah. for art, which was really fantastic. So he Im immediately hired me uh, the day I graduated to go to New York and start uh, doing plays cool, and, uh, wow, like doing huge coming, but yeah, it was huge coming back here, doing Sundance's children's traveling theater where okay. we did Alice's adventures in wonderland. And these are not musicals. These no. are okay. Straight yeah. plays. Okay. And there were four actors in this traveling show. One of them was Alice. And then every other role in wonderland was split between the three of us. Okay. And I was like 18 yeah, and like one of the well, other guys went to Juilliard and he was really good. And that's when I started to get like the fear in me yeah, that I like wasn't actually like, that oh good. Oh my God. Yeah. On top of that, <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell this story really, really quickly. But um, when I was a senior, uh, the uh, librarian, Mrs. Lonsdale, came to me and she's like, hey, Christian, you're interested in movies and stuff you should apply for this Sundance workshop that uh, teaches kids how to make documentaries. And cool. I was like, Ugh, documentaries are boring. And she's like, Christian, please just do it. Do something. <laughs> so I was like, fine. So I took the flyer. That's so funny. And I went to my English teacher, Amy Miller, whom I had a huge crush on and called Amy and was like, Amy, will you write these essays for me? 
Okay. Because Mrs. Lonsdale is making me apply to this and I don't want to do it. Yeah. And Amy was like, Christian, ugh, I'll help you. Yeah. And I was like, okay, great. So she helps me write these essays. We submit it to Sundance and I get it. Okay. So cool. I'm 17 and I go to like train to become a documentary filmmaker. And were you good at English where it was like English a favorite subject in addition to theater? It was easier for me. Okay. Just because, you know, I had that groundwork of all of the books yeah. and everything well, that and my mom had given me. I think if you just pay attention to people like, yeah. you know, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I go up to Sundance and um, they have like eight kids there and uh, they're like, okay, we're going to go around the circle and we're going to ask everybody what their documentary is going to be about. They're going from kid to kid and like the first kid's like, I'm going to do mine on local coffee shops. And another kid's <laughs> like, I'm going to do mine on local bookstores. And another kid's like, I'm going to do mine on uh, graffiti in Salt Lake. And another girl's yeah. going to make hers on ketchup. And it got around to me and they were like, what is your documentary going to be about? And I was like, I didn't know we were I, supposed just, to bring yeah, one. And they were totally. like, we sent you the letter. And I was like, I didn't read it. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is like how. Like, I would have been mortified. I was never mortified by anything because <laughs> I don't know. I just was really lazy. Well, you had that like authority thing that you said from Matilda. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really care what they, they said. Um, I mean, we have a lot of questions left, so I'm just going to make a really long story short. Okay. While I was in the midst of trying to like panically sure decide like what my documentary was going to be about, uh, my next door neighbor whom I'd been friends with since we were two years old came to me and, uh, he told me that, uh, he was gay and that, he wanted to leave the Mormon church mm -hmm. and move in with his 35 year old boyfriend wow. while he was 17. And he was going to tell his mom about it. And he was terrified. Wow. And I That's was a like, lot of things. can I film that? Yeah. And oh he was gosh. like, sure. Wow. So I did. And that documentary short went to Sundance and then HBO bought it. And oh, so yeah. coming out of high yeah. school, I was like this. I, I mean, like, the number of things that had to happen in order for that to <laughs> fall in my lap yeah. was unreal, yeah. you know, and all yeah. these people helping me. But like when I left high school, I was a professional actor, like touring and also had a documentary on HBO. Wow. wow. So, so you, you kind of like kind of a good kickstart. You kind of never really like thought about going to college. I mean, I'm sure you like thought about it when you were younger, but it was like a by the time you were there, it was like, I'm doing these other things. I ended up going to college. Okay. Well, I, I, yeah, didn't, I, I didn't assume that you didn't just that at that time you were doing other things. No, I think it's, it's a really important uh, thing because I wish that I wish I hadn't. Oh, I, yeah, I yeah. went because um, I didn't w want to be the one kid in my class who wasn't yeah. a college graduate, oh you my know? Gosh, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, what happened? Like, how did you like leave these other things you were doing to go to college? I became deathly afraid of being an actor because I wasn't nearly as good as the other oh, people. Oh, yeah, you saw that other Juilliard guy and these things and were like, I'm not sure. I, I need to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the director was like disappointed because I didn't have the same spark that I did on my like high school stage. Oh, okay. And he expressed his disappointment in me and it was crushing, yeah. you know. And how, um, how long 
did how long was it in between finishing high school and like applying for college? I'd oh uh, a year. Okay. I just took that first year okay. off. Um, and it was just scary. Yeah. So what yeah, did you just, like, major really in? English. Okay. Yeah, like path of least resistance. And were did you at that point were you thinking about like film? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're thinking like I'm gonna major in English and then maybe like write for and make films. Yeah. And then yeah. Make, act in films. The the like month after I graduated from college, I, I moved to Los Angeles okay. and uh supported myself as a kindergarten teacher in Beverly Hills cool. while I tried to make movies. So la- movies. last question about this. So yeah. you you left like, you know, a career. You kind of were building a career in writing, filmmaking, acting. To like go to college for writing, filmmaking, acting. Yeah. Like what felt different to you? Like why did college feel safer? Or was it just like all my friends are in college? Because there are, there are people there to tell you what to do. Sure. You know, like that's. And what you're saying what now is like maybe I didn't need to have go. I don't yeah. think so. You know, like the, the day that I regretted going to college and people should go to college. You know, I mean, especially if they're having trouble like scheduling themselves around their art or whatever go to call because i have a degree i have a master's degree in jazz studies nice yes i can tell that you know like what that means (laughs) (laughs) which is mostly nothing Um, sure but uh but i always tell people like go to college if you need someone else to kick your butt well yes like that's exactly if you're if you don't have the resources or like the network to like kick your own butt, mm-hmm. like you go to college and pay people to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the like going to college for me was sort of like a safety net. Like yeah. you know, I'll still be able to get like an okay job if I graduate. Sure. Um, but like the transition from you know being into film and acting and all these things into just being a writer was actually just frustration that i couldn't find anybody who took those things as seriously as i did okay and when you make a film you need a couple dozen people you know share that or even half a dozen people to like be there and not like pick up shifts you know at their restaurant on the day that they're supposed to be holding a boom mic or whatever and so That was just kind of me narrowing my storytelling down to, oh, actually, I can just do this every day as long as I want if it's just me and a computer, you know? Okay, okay. Um, Maybe I can rebuild after that, but this is where I'll just put all of my energy. So, um, but the day that I regretted going to college was when I was like, okay, I'm going to be a children's book author. When I was like 24, I made that decision. Um, What happened? How I, I uh, had been so when I was working at that uh, uh, kindergarten in, in Beverly Hills, okay, okay. I, I kind of fell in love with the PE teacher. Um, I didn't realize that she was a recovering crack addict. And okay. that was like a big uh, it's like the first big heartbreak of my life. Yeah. But I would always like tell her this story of a children's book that I was really excited and wanted to write. Cause you know, everybody has like children's book ideas and she would always get really excited about it. And then when we broke up, I was like, okay, well now my goal, like my heart was so shattered that I was like, I really can't think of anything to do other than go make this children's book. Yeah. Okay. And 12 years later, I, published my first book (laughs) wait so um i I understand this story of like i have this children's book idea and then like this heartbreak is like 
well, I need to just write this book. But why the decision to like specifically write children's books and not like the one and then maybe do other stuff? Yeah, I I, I think it's just because when I reach into my heart, that's what's there. Sure. Yeah. You well, know, I have and... to imagine like that experience of like teaching kindergarten, like I mean, chicken or the egg, but like it's something like sure. whether you wanted to teach younger kids because that's just I don't know. There's something like in your person that wants to like I, write things for kids. Yeah, I, I adore them. I recognize all the walls that need to be knocked down still for them. Yeah. But I hate being a disciplinarian. OK. You know, I yeah. I loved those kids. I hated telling them to sit down you know, uh, 15 times an hour (laughs) or, or, you know, controlling them. Like I want them to be wilder. I want them to break down those walls. And so I'm not going to be great at tearing them down if I'm building them up around them. I feel like that too. Like I teach, I teach private lessons, which is totally different, but I teach a lot of kids and, and teens. And I feel like one of the things I'm telling them all the time is like, I'm not your school teachers. Like, you get to be messy here. And like, we get to like, you know, um, like break rules and like take risks. We're making art and like, I don't need you to like have the right answers. And, um, but yeah, I think like, I also could never teach like in a classroom type of a style. Cause it's, I don't know. Like I understand why you need structure when you're teaching a bunch of people at once. Um, but like each individual person really, you know, has totally individual needs, yes. which you just can't, you just can't meet in a group setting. Absolutely. And I would, fo- I would prefer to focus on that one kid who has this issue or whatever yeah. and tell a story that right. would untangle it a little right, bit, right. or at least ask questions that allow them to untangle it themselves. Okay. Yeah. So you're 24. You, at this point, are you still trying to do film and acting? No, you you're just like I'm a writer. I'm gonna be a writer. I've abandoned it completely. Oh yeah, that that reminds me. And so I was like, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. Obviously, in order to become a children's author, I have to go to, I have to get a graduate degree. So I sat down and I wrote a list. Is that obvious? I, I don't know. Uh, it was obvious okay. to me okay. of being a <laughs> private school kid. Uh, oh, okay. I mean, obviously wrong, but. At the time. So I so I sat down and I wrote down all of the authors whose career I would like to have. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, now I'm going to look up where they went to grad school so I can decide. Yeah. And the answer was... They didn't. They didn't. Yeah. <laughs> they, and they didn't go to college. And so I was like, oh, which is actually a really terrifying moment because you're like, I'm wait. I'm supposed to have everything that I, I need. Ha- that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. yeah. I have everything I that I need to make this happen how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then you kind of start panicking and then you're like, well, I know I should read. Yeah. Uh, I can read advice from these authors. Yeah. I know I have to write something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So here we go. You um, know, and I thought like, I'll really dedicate myself hard to this. And then in like a year or so, I'll have that book. Were you having, and it just, <laughs> it took longer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. A little bit longer. Um, Yeah. At this point, like, were you having any sort of like internal, like, you know, crisis about like being an artist and like saying to people, like, I'm a writer? Like, was that, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm hearing you say that like that was a thing that you maybe had feelings about when you were younger. And then like, 
you know, I I'd never I never had any problem like stating that I was an artist to other people. Um, it's when I was alone and there was that pressure of being like, well, now you've told everybody that you're an artist, sure, so you better like make impostery thing. Yeah, yeah, you better art good now. Yeah, you know. Uh, Did you feel like an artist, hard. like? No. In your, in your private identity? No. Great did you, question. Did you think, and they're like yes or no questions, but then I'm hoping there's like. Sure. Did you feel like you thought other artists were like different from yes, you? Yes. Yes. Tell me everything. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's one thing that I always look at. Um, I think one of the most valuable things you can do when you are struggling as an artist is to go read the experiences of artists that you admire, but take what they say very seriously and try to mentally remove that romantic yeah. veneer. You know, like uh, you read Stephen King and on writing talking about how he was working at a laundromat for 12 hours yeah. a day and then coming home and writing for a couple of hours and like hating everything that he did yeah. and throwing in the wastebasket. And we look at that and we're like, oh, Stephen King. He how was magical back then. Yeah, and how romantic, like yeah, a totally. laundromat and his wife fishing, you know, the Carrie manuscript out of the trash and, mm. and it being sold for record numbers, amounts of money. And like, you have to like take all that away because he was just a dude, some dude named Stephen and King. And like everyone thought he was a screw up probably. Yeah. yeah. And he was, and he, he, was. he was an alcoholic yeah. and doing yeah. tons of cocaine and didn't believe in himself yeah. and felt very broken and, and hated his job and everything. And it's like, that's you. Yeah. You, he just didn't stop. Yeah. And you, you know? feel like you figured that out now, but like when you were in your twenties, it was kind of like artists are these magical kinds of people that I think I'm not. That feeling didn't leave me until one year ago. Okay. Yeah. I think I'm kind of like in a similar, like I get that. I get that feeling. Yeah. I, and I still like, you know, I think where I am now, because I interview tons of artists, like I have these like really beautiful, like long conversations with artists. And what I find is like, it's both like there are people who are kind of like magical art people. Sure. And they just like were born that way. And like, that is just how they are. And like art just like is their life and their life is art. Let's and it's, catch them yeah. and drink their blood. <laughs> but I think it's not that common. <laughs> it, yeah, it's not that common. Right. Um, I mean, I think more, I, I think more of us, but I, wait, I had one other question, which is, um, at this, at this time that you were kind of feeling like, you know, or maybe when you first started kind of butting up against this feeling of like, I want to be an artist, but like, I think I might not really be like, what was it that like, let you keep trying to be? Um, it, you know, it's, it's so faith-based. It's faith that the pictures and ideas in my head are going to be as exciting to a large enough audience outside of my head that it's worth yeah. pushing forward, totally. you know? And you're just excited about the idea, not about yourself. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. You yeah. know, it's, it's kind of, it's the idea of like being a, a clean window pane. Sure. I don't know where this light comes from you know, that's shining through yeah. me. Like I, ideas just sort of congeal yeah. and become naturally just through the things that we're exposed to, many of which we're not choosing necessarily, mm -hmm. or just the things that we really adore. 
and to you know look at the light that's pouring through that's on the yeah. on the carpet and say that's my light that's coming from me right. is wrong you know it's like no i just kept this window clean enough for it to shine sure clearly it is a really weird distinction though and i actually think about that kind of thing a lot like you know the difference between like the artist that like maybe i am and like just the ideas that i have that i then like execute artfully mm-hmm. you know and like they really aren't separate things like no but i i do kind of feel like i kind of feel like they are like like maybe there's there's a bit of a distinction between like ideas that are like i believe in this idea like i have a vision for this idea and like i know that i can make something artful yeah it's it's a really it's like a hazy line ownership question right 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 and and really i think it's just a matter of ego at the end of the day you know and and how you manage that and that's something that i have uh struggled with and inspected throughout my entire career you know because what do you mean well i mean i think because this idea any idea that gets you started working in art is exciting enough that you believe that everybody is going to feel the same way about it, you know? And so you sort of like build up this tidal wave of expectation inside yourself. Yeah. And then when it's like this tiny droplet on the, the shore that is publishing, it's very defeating, you know? And, um, and a little crushing and then a lot crushing, a lot crushing, you know? (laughs) But, but, you know, I, I see other people sort of romanticizing my stuff. Like most people that I talk to don't realize that Fox's my most successful book was my third book. They're like overnight sensation. You sat down and and wrote this like first book. And so I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I did. I wrote it in a week. I just thought here's a, a stupid little idea and it turns out turns out it's pretty i'm gonna start doing that i'm just yeah. gonna start pretending like i'm one of those magical people <laughs> i think some people do that like they all do uh, well like i, like, uh, I don't know i mean again because i like i have all this data that like really does surprise me sometimes like when i'm doing these interviews like when i first started doing this podcast i thought i had some like i i think i had some theories that i thought were just true Mm-hmm. And like, I meet people all the time that just like, I'm just like, well, that is different than what I thought. But I, I do think, yeah, I do think there are some people who like, I was thinking about this when you were talking before, like, I think some of it has to do with like our, our natural skill set, like how much of it is like what we're working on, how much of it is kind of personality. I think the resources that you have when you're really little yes and you can totally take them for granted they could look like prodigy yeah maybe sometimes occasionally there is a prodigy but i think like depending on all of those things some people like i feel like the way the things i'm hearing you say like are a lot how i feel which is like i'm pretty confident about like my my gauge for like what's going to actually be a good finished product um, and I'm writing music, I'm writing albums. Yeah. Um, like when it's done, I'm like, I feel good about this and this is good. But like, I don't feel like I'm like a, an art being huh. always, you know, um, like, and some people I think really are. And then I think some people really aren't, 
but enough people tell them that they are that they kind of just <laughs> yeah and yeah, then when I never... ask, like I'll ask questions to those people sometimes and they'll be like you know and then I think like they kind of realize it sure they've they've kind of just kept themselves in the small pond yeah or like in terms I of I think sometimes like maybe this is just maybe I'm just thinking it but I think sometimes like people like that Cinderella story so much of like this overnight success and like people get bummed out when you tell them like no that's not what's happening sure and they and like the people that you're talking to they like that magical story so much that they like don't want to hear you tell a different one yeah so I think lots of times like artists just learn how to tell the story that people like let them tell yeah um, which I is maybe different. I think that's so true. Yeah. I know it's true because I've like watched it. I've like watched it in this room. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where like when I ask, they'll be like, actually, you know what? No, I really did struggle with that. Yeah. But it's like they have learned to just be like, yeah, you know, some like platitude because that's like what people like to hear. Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, I always get really sad when I find myself regurgitating things that I've said in a dozen other interviews. Right. Yeah. It just kind of makes me depressed. We all kind of <laughs> do it though. But I mean, again, it's like, I think people kind of train you. Like you kind of just learn like talking to people that they don't want to hear you talk about all of the manu- like all of the letters you sent to publishers that right. they're just like, people are just like, mm-hmm, no, but <laughs> just tell it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, they don't want to imagine it. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. Even if it's just like, the number of laughs that I get when I go and speak at schools, like those laughs will draw me like a moth to a flame. Like every sure. single time I'll be like, well, let's only do uh, the hits. We know how to tell. Yeah. We know how to tell the stories that are. That, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you don't have like the emotional bandwidth to be like, it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Well, What else? What can, what do you want to tell me about this 12 year period between like, I'm going to be a writer and like <sighs> publishing that first book. So hard. So rough. I primed you perfectly for this. Question. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I didn't really it, you mean absolutely to. did. But now you're like, it was just hard. You know, um, it it was just sort of a. I have committed to this thing, and I had better see it through to the bitter end. You know, it was more important than any of my relationships. It was more important than any sort of job security. It made me miserable because it was like carrying this impossible weight that I did not know how to carry yet. Um, but I made myself show up. You know, I, I was kind of starting to understand that for all these like scattershot jobs that I had in in all these different fields, I just really wasn't engaged in any of them. Yeah. I wanted to leave and daydream, you know? Yeah. Um, in fact, the easiest time for me to ever work on art was when I was supposed to be doing something else at a cubicle job, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, I, I treated it like, like it was my part-time job on the side, finishing yeah. these books and writing these things and finding as many different uh, things that like strengthened uh, the craft, um, you know, like if I could be paid to just write sure. things, then yeah. I would do that. It's, uh, you know, I'm sure you've Adjacent heard skills. Exactly. Like, what were you going to say? Uh, Neil Gaiman's make good art 
commencement speech. Have you heard no, that one? Um, I don't know. I'll watch it for sure. Yeah. He talks about uh, your career path. He always thought of his career path as being just a mountain that yeah. he would see on the horizon. Yeah. And for every decision he made, he would ask himself, is this bringing me closer to the mountain or farther away? Mm-hmm. And that's how he made yeah. every decision. Yeah. And that's how I made every that decision. That seems really intuitive. I mean, I, I think I give similar advice to my music students. Like it's, it's a mistake to think that like sitting down and like practicing your instrument is the only thing that matters here. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You're training your brain. Like uh, you can, I mean, like just as I use this as like a silly example with my students sometimes, but like as a singer, so much of what you're doing in terms of your craft is like breathing. Yeah. And like you breathe all day. Like if you want to, you can think about training those muscles all day. Like whether Mm. you're talking or singing or none of the above. Yeah. You're breathing. So you're training some, some tiny obsessives. Yeah. Well, no, they don't, they don't buy it. They never do. You're planting seeds. Yeah, maybe. Seriously. I mean, I think (laughs) that the sort of things that you say, you know, little things like that will, will hook later. My grandma, you know, she was, she would ask me like, so what are you interested in? And I'd be like, I don't know. And she'd be like, well, whatever it is, do it every day. Yeah. She goes, if you're going to be a writer, you write every day. And I was like, well, I'm not going to be a writer because it seems hard <laughs> and bad. But then, like, you know, I remembered that advice. Then I was like, yeah. well, I guess it's time to start writing kind of play, every day. Plays now. in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. So um, by the time you got published, how, how many books had you written? Uh, I think it was my fourth or fifth. Okay. So, um... During this time that you're writing and not yet published, did, like, I'm kind of assuming that your idea of, like, success is, like, get published? Or were you thinking about, like, success in other ways? It was at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I oh, mean. So of, of course, like, as soon as you get a book published, it immediately is something else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I the, the, hard, the hard thing for me about getting published was I, I... Uh, the first thing I got published was something that wasn't really me. Okay. It was just like an idea that a friend of mine actually gave me. And I asked him if I could have it and work on it. And then that was the thing that hooked everybody's interest. And it was kind of nice though, because I, I noticed that the door was open, you know, I was going to have an editor at Simon and Schuster. And I was like, okay, this is like a poppy little YA book that doesn't quite feel like me, yeah. but now I've got my foot in the door. I'm going to hit them with something crazy yeah, next. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, it's going to be crazier. Totally. And then after that, I'm going to write a trilogy that I have to, in order to survive as a writer. But then after that, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. like I, and so, so I think, um, what I see happen to, uh, I've seen this happen to many, many authors is that they, they, publish your first book, it does not go the way that they expected it would go, and they quit. Yeah. They're done, you know. Yeah, it happens to musicians, too, all the time. Yeah, or they, you know, they they rode a wave of a particular fandom for a particular genre, and then, like, that's the genre they can write in. Yeah. Um, and so once that wave has passed, you know, their readership dwindles. Um you know, any number of things can happen, but to me, you know, I think like at any point I am in a position to completely reinvent my yeah. career 
and my image and the stories I tell. Uh, fortunately, I kind of feel like, you know, Fox's was my first book that that felt like a foundational stone. Yeah. And I was like, great, you can stay. I'm known for that one now. Let's build from here. How old were you when that came out? Uh, 37. Wow, cool. 38. So maybe this is like, a, maybe this is kind of a weird question, but can you talk about like what it felt like? to so like you know you you get this first book published you're like this isn't really my thing like they don't have to know that yet but like i know sure yeah what did it feel like to like have a, a strong like vision and conviction about something um and like not yet have like told like what did, what does that feel like to be like holding that like i know this is what i'm gonna do and what i need to do uh I, to me it's it's really exciting yeah uh, especially when it's confirmed in people's reactions, you know, like, uh, so you were having those like regularly having that experience of like, this is what I want to do. And people being like, Oh, hell yeah. Well, the, the funny thing is that, um, my, it wasn't just like your secret of like, people are going to see it. They're going to see it. Yeah. So first of all, my, my editor, Christian trimmer, when I gave him my second book, he was like, whoa, I thought you were just going to write something like the first one. And I was like, <laughs> no, like, yeah, that's, that's not really what I'm <laughs> interested in. And then by the time I got around to the third book, which completely broke the mold and looks nothing like my first book. Um, when I was pitching it, I was like, I was so confident in it. I was like, listen, I'm going to retell classic horror stories with baby foxes and it's going to be sick. And my agent was like, Okay. Well, that's what I mean. Like you had all this conviction he about did it, not. but like you di hadn't, you didn't tell them. Or like maybe I just don't know what like those no, relationships I, I, are like. I pitched it to my agent, and he first of all, like I gave him a short story version of it, and he never read it. Bless him. He's the best agent in the world. I think he might have misplaced it. I don't know what happened, or he just like pretended. And then by the time I was like, okay, get on the phone with me. I'm going to tell you what this idea is. He was like, okay here are all the problems you face with that. It wasn't what a cool idea. It wasn't like, oh man, it's going to be so exciting. He was like, audiences are not looking for this. They're not looking for that. They're not looking for this. Like that's all really yeah. bad. And so I like took the broken pieces of my story back and I was like, well, hold on. I can reshape this around what he said and make okay. it a lot stronger, which yeah. I did. And his feedback, it was invaluable. Like I would, it would not be a successful book without that conversation. Yeah. So I think like that thing, that story you just told is like so important. I mean, like you had all this conviction, someone who's an important gatekeeper who you trust. And like, you're not just like, ah, this person's a gatekeeper, but like, what does he know? It's like a person right. that you value. That person's like, this is, these are, there are problems. Yeah. Can, like, can you say, like, how and why it, like, didn't um, take your, like, passion about your idea away from you? And, like, how did you deal with it? You know, I, I think that um, whenever I receive feedback, uh, I really try to take a step back and say, okay, so let's, let's say I did that. What would happen to the creature as a whole? And what about my initial intention? Has that been dented or fractured or whatever? And most of the time when, I mean, when it's a good piece of feedback, then I see like a world of opportunity. Yeah. And I think with my original idea, I was basically just retelling 
Berenstein Bears Halloween books for middle grade audiences. Like okay. that's that's what I wanted to do. When my agent came at it with his hatchet, I had all these pieces and I started fitting them back together and I was like, oh, this is going to be something that hasn't existed before. Yeah, yeah. You have to like, you have to make the idea even more of the idea. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it made it scarier. It's almost like an affirmation, but like a scary one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've, I have treasured that feedback and um, I think it's really important. Like I, I listen to that very closely when people say things. And of course there are things that people say where I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, cause I do have to still have faith in the initial idea. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? Like, where do you feel that like resilience coming from? Oh, I, mean, I mean, that's something that like, I, I do this podcast for a lot of reasons. Like some of it's just purely like, I'm so interested in people. Like, I just want to hear people talk and I don't care who else hears it. Yeah. Um, some of it is like, <laughs> I think, you know, the arts and creativity are like difficult in ways that we do not talk about that much. Yeah. Because what I was saying before, like a lot of the times when we're being interviewed, people don't want to know about that stuff. Um, and I think it's important for us to tell these stories so that like other younger artists can be like, Oh, um, and other reasons too, but yeah, for this specific thing, like, yeah, resiliency is hard. It's a lot of people don't just have that, you know, it's, it's insane. It's insane. It, it's the most, like a thick skin is the most important thing. First of all, I think having, um, uh, an overly adoring and, uh, complimentary mother helped yeah. a lot because you know her light is always like shining through me it's like believing yeah. in myself yeah. you believe in yourself like be like because she believed in you so much yeah, yeah and and you know for obviously for a lot of people that doesn't necessarily have to take the form of a parent figure it can be a friend sure. it can be a partner it can be uh, a pet whomever you know yeah. um uh, or an imaginary friend. Well, I would I, highly recommend I that say as well. so, You know, it's it's interesting. I, I've told this story before, but it may, it may be interesting, like specifically juxtaposed to what you're saying right now. My parents were the opposite, obviously. Right. Like so hard on me. Never a kind word. Like never. Like really just very, very hard on me. And uh, I feel like I'm a super resilient artist. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm resilient because I learned really early that like I have to just do things because I want to. Cool. Because like nobody's going to tell me. No one's going to give me any praise no matter what. Right. And so like my relationship with art, like uh, at least the making of it separated from like the possibility of praise, like pretty early. Yeah. I still get rejection fatigue. Sure. But yeah. it doesn't affect the creation process. It just affects like once it's made then sometimes I'm like, why don't you like it? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but, absolutely. But it doesn't, well, it, the resilience is, is there. Here are the other, here are the other pieces. Um, I, I learned early on. I'm actually really glad that my first book was not successful because I learned very quickly that like, I, I failed book is not the end of a career. Yeah. So you just keep going, yeah. you know? And so I was like, well, I believe in this idea. And if it doesn't have the same sort of bite that I feel for it, then I can write something else, yeah. you know? Um, but I also have become like more calculated in how I approach the market because I will look at my little creature 
and I'll say, does this exist? Yeah. What need is it fulfilling? And, you know, for me, it's always like, because a lot of people are like, well, what's hot right now? And should I write to trends? And, you know, is, is that the smartest way to go about it? And for me, it's the opposite. I don't care about trends. I ignore them. I want to find the thing that does not exist. Yeah. I would much rather kick off a trend than, um, you know, like participate than be in one badly. One. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Participate in one and, and not feel anything about it and then have it be bad. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I feel that way as well. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say about like the trajectory of your career or like where you are now? If so, go for it. If not, let's talk vaguely about art things. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I, I still see more, uh, walls that I would like to knock down and I'm like, what, uh, let's see how much do I want to talk about this? I'm working on a project right now. Uh, it's a retelling of something, uh, pretty famous that, uh, I've been talking Kay's ear off about for the past couple of weeks. And I'm really, really, really stoked, um, about it. I'm not ready to reveal what it is okay. yet. Cause I don't know if I have the rights to it. Sure. Okay. We're trying, I hope. Um, but, but you know, I, I actually want to explore the idea within the medium itself of why do we accept and reject certain things in art for kids? You know, like basically this conversation that we're having, yeah. but told through a narrative, uh, specifically of a graphic novel. Okay. And um, I'm excited about that. We've Will been watching like a art? lot of Twin Peaks. No, I uh, won't. <laughs> have you watched Twin Peaks before? So I, we just rewatched the entire series. I started it like right when the pandemic started and oh. I stopped watching it because my husband wasn't into it and I don't watch TV by myself. Like I don't have time. How far did you make it? Like a little into season two. Okay. I I didn't like not like it. Yeah. I just, yeah. If we're not watching something together, I like, sure. I will choose other activities. Tell your husband that the third season the is, one that came back after 25 yeah, years yeah. is going to be one of the greatest horror films he's ever watched. Okay, I will. And that might actually genuinely make a difference it's, to how he feels about it. I mean, it's kind of an 18-hour <laughs> scary movie in some regards, right? Cool. It's so good. Cool. So cool. good. But I'll there's also like up. a 10-episode chunk of season two that you should just skip. It's just weird. Maybe that's where we stopped. It's, <laughs> yeah, probably. D David Lynch and Mark Frost, the creators, they both had quit the show at that point. Oh. But then they returned for the season finale. So you just are going to skip those 10, watch the season finale of season two. It will hook you right back in okay. and then watch season three. And good luck. Okay. <laughs> Great. Good luck peeing Great. after that one. <laughs> good luck peeing. Good luck that. not peeing during it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ah, all right. Uh, oh. <laughs> Art stuff. Oh, what are we talking about? Oh, your career. You so you're you've been watching Twin Peaks. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thinking so, about this so new idea that I you want to can't deconstruct too much. middle grade literature, and then I'm also working on a story about loneliness cool. that I'm Great. I'm excited to get into. Yeah, that's something that children need right now and always. Yeah, but yeah. And it's I a... feel you know I there there are so many topics in the middle grade space that I am not. Um, 
you know, I, I, they're not my stories to tell. And, uh, we're, we're going through this amazing, like about time, uh, revolution in children's literature where more people still not enough people of color, black people have their stories being told. And I think that's where, that's where the frontier is right now is, um, especially like telling, uh, black stories that are not about slavery right. or racism, yeah. you know, like s- just celebrating black lives, yeah. you know, in the many ways that they are. So, uh, it's an interesting time to be a children's author yeah. and like understand what voice you have and yeah. you know, what, what sort of value that brings yeah. and why. I think to some extent that's true for all, all artists. Yeah. Like, at this time that we're in, cause I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I mean, again, like I, I'm a person that has a degree in jazz studies, which is like, uh, it's, it's black music, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think a lot about these kinds of things too, like how do, you know, how do we participate? Um, yeah. Uh, it's I I think it's, um, good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> really exciting. And always evolving. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be the same month to month. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So, um, I don't know that I have like a, any. I mean, I I will think of some. But what do you want to talk about with uh, with art things? Like, do you have things that you like want to say, or do you want me to like uh. make ask a question? <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to think about. Uh, let it me for give a you. Second. Let me preface some things. Yeah. So please. okay. So this is the time in the podcast where like my listeners have heard me say this next bit a lot of times. Yeah. Because I I say it almost every episode. But is there talk- like a jingle that goes along with that? No. But okay. <laughs> uh, maybe I should think of one. Yeah. Yeah. Where like we I'll push the button and it's like now it's time for this part. <laughs> um, I know what you mean. That's good. <laughs> that's just, yeah. that's it. Uh, yeah. I think we just got take it. That, now it's done. time for this part. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so here's what this part is. The podcast is called artifice because it's a cool word. And because word. I think that our relationships with our art, with our creativity, with our audiences, the relationship between the audience like and the art is unknowable and really interesting. I've got something. Go for yeah, it. I, yeah, if you're still looking for a question. No, no, that's, that's it. Okay, so um, my, my evolution as an artist was to start out believing that everybody was going to be as tickled by the stories I had in my head as I was. Yeah. Not realizing how many cliches or, you know, faux pas I was making. I was just like regurgitating them onto a piece of paper, thrusting them at editors and friends and being like, good. Right. And they're like, no. Mm. Uh, and then like slowly and painfully learning like, Oh, actually stories have a structure, right? They have a skeletal structure and a nerve structure and muscle musculature that, that can be shaped by learning things like the hero's journey and Dan Harmon's story circles and all of like the cheesy save the cat stuff. And that actually, when you adhere to certain structures, um, I'm sure you feel the same way uh, in songs, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. with like verse, chorus, mm-hmm. verse, bridge, yes. etc., where you're like, you know, you can fail at just like vomiting out your stories or your songs. And then once you're like, OK, fine, I'll plug it into this structure, which I was terrified mm-hmm. would make it um, 
predictable yeah. and just completely see-through. And once I started adhering to those, all of a sudden people were like, oh, this is really good, totally. you know? Yeah. And that's when I started to learn like, oh, okay. So actually w stories are kind of like a, a Swiss watch. And if I can construct them in just such a way as like old masters have done it, then I can make my story tick along to like the human heartbeat, yeah. you know? That's what I, I just actually, I teach songwriting and I just... Like when the pandemic started and all my gigs got canceled, mm -hmm. I decided to use my time to put my like songwriting method that I've developed into an online course, Cool, which I just finished and I'm launching it on April 1st. Thank you. But I, I have like a module on form and like I say, I feel this exact same way about it, which is like, if you break too much from form, like form structures that we're used to, the audience can't follow you. Like, right. Like having somewhat you know predictable structures it lets the audience like participate with you mm -hmm. like they can kind of they have a vague idea where they are they're prepped for like the next thing and it doesn't mean you can't be totally surprising and totally creative um and then when you do make decisions to break from structure like you're going to have more conviction about that because you know like why you're doing it. Right. It's, it's so necessary. And I, I still think that I'm, I'm a long ways off from feeling completely confident about how all of that interior structure works, yeah. you know, well, like all of this. Stories are harder than songs. I mean, songs are three minutes. I'm, so well, it's, I think it's like much more complicated. But in, <laughs> in that sense, um, principles are they're very the different muscles, yeah. right? And I think that writing something that's short is a heck of a lot more difficult than writing something that's really long. Yeah, you got to really um, maximize your bang for buck. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. The the space that you have in there. Um, so, but my, my big question, like, as I'm getting better at structuring and understanding, like, why the story is tugging on my reader's heartbeat or heartstrings and why... Um, I'm also looking to these works that, like you say, break the structure, you know, if not partially completely. And I mm -hmm. think that Twin Peaks is a fantastic mm -hmm. version of that. And so my personal next frontier in art is understanding like how certain works affect us when I, I cannot see the mechanism. Okay. I can't see the magic cool. trick. I can't see any of this. Like all of my, you know, informal uh, training in all of this stuff leaves me completely at a loss for what's happening in the third season of Twin Peaks and why certain things make me feel certain ways. Like you'll, mm -hmm. you'll exit scenes in that show and be like, that's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. And the if you were to ask why you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just really scared yeah, now, yeah. Yeah. you know, like what, what did he do to me? And so David Lynch is a big advocate for uh transcendental meditation. Yeah. And as soon as I saw the first episode of the new twin Peaks series in 2017, I signed up for TM immediately cool. and have been doing it yeah. twice a day for the last, you know, four years. And uh, to me, that's, where I'm exploring now. Yeah. Like, what is this? What are these like more invisible 
emotional movements that happen under the surface and that are connecting everything? And how do you dip into that consciousness and what do you bring back? And that stuff is really exciting because yeah. it, it, it blows the doors off of totally all of it. You well, know, can you say a little bit more like, um, just, I mean, I know a little bit about transcendental meditation, but even just for the listener, like what, what are the things that are lighting your, your brain up? Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, any type of meditation is a practice and I do mean practice because everybody's bad at meditation, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like sitting down and closing your eyes and trying to still your mind is difficult yeah. and we all fail over and over and over again. But it's a practice in finding a silence, you know, and this entire time we've been talking about, you know, referencing things like imposter syndrome or how do you retain your excitement, you know, for yeah. for an idea and everything. And the fact of the matter is that like, whenever we're talking about this stuff, we are battling all of those voices in our heads, yeah. you know, our parents, our teachers, uh, critics, um, any type of rejection, self-doubt, everything. And I think, you know, all of those things, they can really spin your compass. You know, they can, mm -hmm. they can make you lose where true North is yeah. because, you know, if your agent is like, okay, this idea is no good. And you're like, oh, okay, this idea is no good. Yeah. Then you failed, you know, yeah, yeah. as opposed to like re-piecing it and still hearing that right. like initial excitement. Yeah. So I think clearing out the cobwebs, clearing out the voices from your head so that that true self of yours rings through, mm -hmm. you know, that wants to speak to other selves about, you know, what it means to be alive. Um, that really can only help your art. Yeah. You know, we, we spend so much time packing our heads full of words and aphorisms and writerly advice and everything. Yeah. When actually some quiet might do yeah. do us a lot so better this is like this is exactly the kind of stuff that like i'm thinking about when i when i'm talking about this like this artifice stuff like and it's not um i always you know want to be careful to say like it's not that i think that we are like putting on a smoke and mirrors show like but more but more that just like it is kind of unknowable unless we like really ask and really listen and maybe even still then so like i think this is a perfect example like you know, people think that like the art that you're making as a writer is about writing. It's about, uh, aphorisms. Like it's about all right. these tools and like that, that's like the creativity, like that is the creative act. Meanwhile, like so much of like the creative act actions that you are taking are these like step back, like repiecing, like thinking in these bigger picture ways. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like, I guess like maybe, a, a um, I don't know other, another topic if you want to talk about it, if you have ideas sure. is like, I kind of feel like sometimes, um, my creative work even feels like a step farther back than that. Like, cause this maybe middle section of like, we're piecing the thing out. Like we're not talking about like the writing or the music or whatever, or the brush strokes. We're talking about this like bigger picture, like art deconstructed kind of a thing. And then I feel like, you know, a step back from that is just like, what are we doing as people? Like yeah. what's going on? Do you feel like you apply, like what, what relationship does like your creative mind 
um, or your creative skill set have with like your just being a person? I mean, uh, you know, the the further I go through my career, the more those become indistinguishable. Yeah. Because what's going to be important to me as a human being is going to come through the art and the art is only there as a conduit to be a human being. You know, I don't want to tell a story unless it's going to change me in some way. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to tell a story unless like if, if it really does just sort of like check all the boxes on a um, on a, a structure sheet and is, you know, essentially candy for audiences like yeah. i i don't there's no reason for me to be in this career yeah. if that's what i'm going to do so i um yeah i i think about that sort of stuff a lot uh but but the thing that i'm trying to make happen is is not sit there and be like okay so like what's a really interesting theme that I can hammer home for all people that really speaks to what it means as being a human. Cause whenever I come across those lines in books, it kind of makes me want to vomit, you know? Yeah, sure. Like, like it turns out we're all made of stars yeah, it's too, and it's, it's like, too, uh, go sew it on a pillow. Yeah. Sell yeah, it to your it's aunt. A platitude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so instead, like what are the things that we see in art or that we hear in literature where when we write it down, it's just like, Oh, right. It doesn't look like anything. And then you're like, that's true. That's true. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. 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 And like the, the BS meter that we all have in ourselves, I forget who said that. Was it uh Hemingway? I think Hemingway is like, we all have a BS yeah. meter that, that, you know, it just, it just dings. And the best stuff in the world is not, is the stuff where it's like, well, why is that true? And you say, I don't know. It yeah, just is. Totally. I, yeah. It's, it's not that you can sit there and, and break it down, you know? And when you look at like really classic, uh, children's literature, like the little prince, yeah. like people can try to throw meaning at that book all day long, yeah. but none of it's going to stick. And all of it's going to stick because he just has these very simple, archetypes that speak to something in us yeah. that is uh we can't we can't put yeah. into words i feel like that's also always what i'm looking for i i read a lot as a kid like i was a, the kind of kid that always had a book and was always reading and i fell in love with thomas hardy when i was like <laughs> wow i i loved it so much i read when you like were how old like 12 Wow. Um, I read all of his books I'm and impressed. I felt like that about that. Like I, 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 do, I hardly remember. I read Tess of the Dubervilles like six times, but the, uh, the other books of his wow. that I read, um, I only read them once and I don't know that I could tell you anything about the stories, but I remember those feelings of like reading a passage and just being like, yeah, that's, I know exactly what that feeling is or like yep. that, is that just truth. And you hear that in songs too, like a lyric that like, you just, you know, it would kind of pass you by. Like you can't think of it that much. I mean, it doesn't, you can't, like you said, you can't quite explain like why it's significant. But when you hear it, you're just like, yeah. Yeah. That's like the stuff. It's, it's a puzzle. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why I thought about this, but I, you know, like the most, uh, covered song of all time is, uh, hallelujah. hallelujah. Yeah. yeah. 
I was thinking about this earlier. What are you going to say about it? Like, I almost brought this song up earlier. So Fascinating. I'm feeling okay, like cool. we're maybe having one of those things. It's, but yeah, what it's, are you saying about it's it? It's in the air. Um, <laughs> well, when I, when I first actually started to listen to those lyrics, uh, they can pull you in so many different ways. You know? I mean, like, first of all, there's, like, the tension of saying, uh, clearly, like, these are heartbreaking, terrible things that are happening but he's saying hallelujah at the end of all of them, yeah, which is really strange. And, and there's all of the, you know, biblical imagery, which is fairly inscrutable by itself, you know, uh, or can be interpreted in, in so many different ways. Yeah. And so many things have been lost in translation and, um, that that song is a feast, you know, yeah. like yeah. it doesn't matter how many times it's been covered, there's there's a reason that it keeps bubbling back up in us, you yeah. know. And whenever I hear it again, I'm like, "Well, damn, it's yeah. just it's nice it's, job, it's, Leonard." Yeah, way to go, man. Um, well, the thing that I was gonna say about it, and maybe this is something you know, and maybe it's not, is that he released that song on like several different albums. He the first time he released it, it was different. It had different verses. Right. It had like a gospel choir, um, and then he felt like it like wasn't finished and like i mean so I, he I, has also covered it numerous he, well, times he's rewritten it and <laughs> yeah. like re-released it which because i i was thinking about that when we were talking about resilience and yeah. like this idea of like something being finished like i think one way like just it, it, i thought of it because when you presented your idea and the agent was like there's all these problems and instead of feeling like oh, well, that idea is over. It's like, well, we iterate upon it. Yeah. And like, you know, it wasn't like, I feel like what Leonard Cohen did would be like, you publish the book and then are like, I didn't get it right. <laughs> I love that. Like the, the only artist I know who does that pretty frequently and often to my dismay is Andrew Bird. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm. he, he's always like retooling his songs and new mm. albums. And I'm like, Andrew, 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 yeah. you made it worse. Oh, interesting. Sometimes. Yeah. I have, I mean, I, I'm like aware of Andrew Bird, but I have not listened to enough to know that. He's a good time. I wonder if he's like thinking about that Leonard Cohen thing. Cause it Maybe is so. I never odd, realized. It's odd that like the most covered song is a song that was imperfect the first yeah. several times it was. And it, and then like it was made famous like a lot because of Jeff Buckley's version. So I mean, I'm so embarrassed to say that the first time I heard Leonard Cohen's version, I was like, "Ugh, this version no, I sucks." Think a lot of people <laughs> feel that way, which is, but I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's a good reminder that like we as artists, we can't consider our art in a vacuum. Like, yeah, it's you know, like he still wrote the song. You know, like it's, it's it wouldn't exist song. without him. And he didn't like the the version that ended up like sticking for most people really doesn't have any bells or whistles, you yeah. know, yeah. which is what makes it. Well, that's one of the so things impactful. he talked about. Like it had like this gospel choir and then it was like it's too much. Mm -hmm. Rewrote some verses, did it without the gospel choir. Anyway, it's it's not important other than that this is important <laughs> right yeah yeah, <laughs> um, yeah i wanted to just ask you one other thing you said before like i don't want to write a story unless it changes me yeah and that's something that i talk about a lot like um when i'm talking about like what's our relationship with the art i think m people would assume that you experience a change and then you write it down or like you know you it just comes from you but this idea that like the art that you make changes you back 
Um, yeah. That is how I feel about my art all the time. Like I, I feel that exact same way. Like it's not worth me writing it unless it's going to like, I don't know, move me into some kind of a new iteration of myself. Um, but how, how do you, how would you put words on like that? I'm going to borrow some words from one of my favorite writers, George Saunders, who just released a book on writing called a swim in the, in a pond in the rain. Um, and, uh, he pointed out this book came out last month and I gobbled it up. It, it's amazing. But he pointed out that the self who ends up writing the story is not you. Yeah. Because when you sit down to look at the words that you're working on, you sit down as the overeager version of yourself. Mm. You sit down as the slightly hungover version of yourself. You sit down as the grumpy version. You sit down as the in love version. You sit down as the egotistical version. You yeah. sit down as the, um, you know, the, the broken person and you're revisiting these lines and, uh, these ideas over and over and over again as different yous. Yeah. And, and what ends up coming out is, is sort of this thing that every version of yourself passed off on, mm -hmm. you know, like, like the grumpy version was like, okay, that line will serve. Yeah. You know, the broken version is this line is me. Yeah. Uh, the in love version, the egotistical version is like, this line is awesome, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And so, so that just happens so many times. And so when you look at the final product, he asserts, and I believe that, the the person who ended up writing that story is a much better person than you are on any given day. Yeah. And I loved that. I love that too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's what we, how we were, I feel like we were talking about this before of like, is the idea like something that I just, as the artist facilitate or like, am I like the art? Like, does the art just live in me? Sure. And yeah. I feel like that's like maybe like one answer to that question of like, mm -hmm. it, it lives in every me. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and not in anyone. Yeah. Which is like, it has to kind of like, has to kind of like line up in every me before it like, and which is maybe why we at any given point in the day don't feel like an artist. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, grumpy version by itself is not really. I didn't realize that we were going to actually solve that mystery today. It's, I think it's a, it's a solution. It's, it is it's a solution. A, that's true. It's one. I guess. Yeah, I guess if that were the answer, then you'd have to retire the podcast right now, right? <laughs> I mean, there are other problems to solve. <laughs> there are like yeah, other questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, 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 that's really interesting. Well, um, it, it, unless there's anything else you want to say, then I well, I have two wrap up questions. Cool. But like, this has been a joy. Great, great. Yeah, me too. this is this is one of this is one of the better interviews I've been a uh, part of, and oh, uh, it's it's I don't think I've ever explored this much uh new territory good in a conversation like this so this is awesome i really appreciate you saying that and it's like my personal expectation actually i was just talking with my husband and my brother-in-law last night um and we were talking about like you know just what we enjoy about being human and yeah i was saying like i get very dissatisfied if i don't pretty frequently have new stuff to think about yeah and i feel like it's like my goal in every interview to like get to a place where I'm like, I haven't thought about that before. We, we never <laughs> left school. Yeah. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe for two different reasons, but like that that system of uh, striving and and being tested, and yeah. then striving and being tested, like is kind of written into our. Or I should just say for me, mm-hmm. I you know I I feel the same way, and I think that is what my private school education that I tried my darndest to ignore ended up. Yeah sticking around doing yeah yeah when you were talking about your high school experience and like this kind of like authority thing i was i was thinking like my high school teachers were like the adults in my life who like said ideas that i was like oh my gosh i never thought about that and like i never want to leave that feeling of like having someone be like well i experienced things this way and being like really or you know like i don't know this perspective shifting is like it's the spice of life yeah, for me yeah, in my absolutely. own brain. Yeah. So my wrap-up questions are as follows. Number mm. one, on this day, what is your dream collaboration? And it could be like across medium, you know, it could be whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, have you ever have you ever seen uh, have you ever seen The Point? No. Like 1970s cartoon? I don't think so. I know that I have not. I wouldn't mind collaborating with musicians on stories is what I'll say. Is the point, does a music thing happen in it? Yeah. So it was, it's this very like 1970s psychedelic uh, movie that's pretty charming. Um, And Harry Nilsson wrote all the uh, music. Yeah. Listen to it. How would you want to collaborate with musicians? Just, I, you know, I, there's a, there's a soundtrack for everything I do in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I would like, and, and I usually make, uh, mixes for every book I write. Cool. Um, if only just to like have something that, you know, like a song that will bring a chapter to life when sure. I'm sitting down to work on it. Yeah. But actually like having a soundtrack for something I created, yeah. that would be cool. Exciting. Yeah. I do. I think similarly with like visuals, like I, I like will, when I'm like writing for a new album, I'll make like a, like a vis- like a collage kind of, yeah, Pinterest and then board. like look at it. Yes, Pinterest board. Yeah, and like look at it and think like you know does this song feel like these colors like, um, cool. I I yeah. mean like a a musicians like Facebook group, uh like for people who are like you know trying to get better at music marketing and, um, there's one guy that I know who like will write an album and then writes like a short story with like every song. Cool. Yeah. Which yeah. is maybe just, I don't know. Yeah. I think that's kind of the, the lot of many artists is to envy other art forms because yeah. it encapsulates uh, senses that well, we're not encapsulating. A- absolutely. And, and it, yeah, stretches our, yeah, stretches our like sensory input in different ways. Like, right kind of gives us like yeah i think i think you're right like most of us as artists are kind of like longing to participate in like the these senses that we're not uh a master of you know exactly we're not at the helm of yeah great idea great cool great great collaboration and the final thing is really easy where can people find you oh yeah uh cmheidecker.com c-m-h-e-i-d-i-c-k-e-r.com or you can be my friend on Facebook. Great. And then they can just look for your work on Amazon or is there a place? Yeah. Do you like to have people like buy from a specific place? King's English is fantastic. They they treat me real well. I really like 
Sam Weller's, um, uh, you know. Cool. And wherever you buy your books, but, you know, try a, to be nice a about store? it. store? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Cool. And buy some, like, local coffee while you're there. Exactly. We <laughs> yeah. did that today. That's great. That's yeah. great. <laughs> well, it was so lovely to meet with you and talk to you, and I so appreciate it so much. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.